Are we there yet? Madeline Singer turned from a mango-streaked sky to look at the man beside her. Almost. William Hightower's eyes were dark, his tone mischievous, as he drove the Jeep south on US-1, which snaked through the Florida Keys and separated the Florida Bay from the Atlantic Ocean. In her former life, it had been Maddie's children, strapped into the back seat of her minivan, who'd asked if they were there yet. Somehow, and she still wasn't sure how, her life had rearranged itself. One minute she'd been a suburban housewife and mother, facing the end of a quarter-century marriage and the world as she'd known it. The next, she'd landed on Fantasy Island, a.k.a. Mermaid Point, a small private island in Isla Mirada that belonged to the recently rehabbed rock icon known as William the Wild. That is so not an answer. Will took one hand off the wheel to mime the zipping of his lips. Just shy of the seven-mile bridge, he took a right onto a sand-strewn road that led toward the bay. She laughed when she realized where they were. Another turn, and the jeep jounced across a rutted parking lot filled with cars. Music and light seeped out of a thatched-roof building, built atop a series of docks. Bless you, she said, as he parked facing the Keys Fisheries Market and Marina. How did you know I needed a stone crab fix? The entire population of the Florida Keys and everyone on Mermaid Point know about your addiction. I'm thinking there should be a seven-step program to help you get over it. Although Lifetime had sent Maddie, Avery Lawford, Nicole Grant, and the crew of their renovation-turned-reality TV show Do-Over to turn Will's private island into a B&B, he'd managed to turn it into a sober living facility. I have no interest in getting over stone crabs, and it's not my fault the season's so short. Though she'd had an occasional stone crab claw in her lifetime, it wasn't until she'd come to the Keys and tasted her first that had been pulled from one of Will's own traps that she'd understood what the fuss was about. A low building hugged the dock that stretched out into the bay, but Will led her up a narrow set of stairs to a large square of a room packed with people. The atmosphere was roadhouse honky-tonk. The material of choice was wood. A life-size tarpon hung on one wall, Another fish she could not identify dangled from a wooden rafter that spanned the pitched thatch ceiling. In keeping with the fish theme, people were packed in like sardines. The lucky ones sat at high tops. Others hovered, drinks in hand, chatting while they waited for a table or chairs to open up. They stood for a moment in the narrow entrance. To the left, mounds of stone crab claws sat in bins of ice, while a young man pre-cracked shells and filled cardboard baskets a dozen at a time. To the right, a lone guitar player perched on a stool, his bearded face grizzled, his fingers gnarled yet agile on the strings. A bar ran along the wall beyond him. The signage was belligerently instructive. One read simply, Claws and Straws. Another listed rules for stone crab claw ordering and eating that ended with, No Kids. No TV, no butter, no exceptions. Hey, Will. The musician nodded at Will, then smiled at Maddie as they passed. Eyes noted and followed their progress, but no one yelled or aimed a phone at them. Looks like a mostly local crowd, he said quietly, 
I doubt anyone will bother us. Mattie didn't ask how he knew this, but her shoulders began to relax. She had never aspired to being the center of attention and had already experienced far more than her fifteen minutes of fame. A skyscraper of a man leaning on the bar shook Will's hand. Good to see you, man. Likewise. Will placed an order for a dozen claws and a Coke. Wine, Maddie? Thanks. She still marveled at his strength, the way he'd come out of rehab two years ago, then reclaimed his life and rejoined the world. Their gazes got tangled up in each other's, and she had to force herself to look away. At 62, William Hightower was, as her daughter Kira had pointed out more than once, hot as hell. The black hair that brushed his broad shoulders was threaded with gray, but his features were still sharp and angled. His dark eyes missed little. Exactly why he was in a relationship with her? Well, she'd promised she would stop asking herself this question, but even rough-hewn fish-themed honky-tonks had shiny surfaces. He found a half-empty table in a corner and asked the couple if they could join them. The man, a retired New York policeman, nodded amiably and introduced himself as Jake. His wife, Ingrid, stuttered hello in almost exactly the same way Maddie had when she'd first arrived on Mermaid Point and discovered it belonged to the southern rocker whose poster had once hung on her bedroom wall. Only Maddie's stutters had been captured by a do-over cameraman and broadcast to a television audience.